Well, uh, I guess in light of uh, our um, commending or sending off of the saints, uh, Cicely and Mara and who else? Nadine. Um, we're going to resume from this morning, and the section that we're going to be looking at is the journey resumed. Seems where you guys are going on a journey. I guess I was thinking how appropriate that was. Anyhow. Um, this morning we had the privilege of uh, <clears throat> looking at the redemption by power. We saw that that un, we saw that under uh, that God was beginning to develop in the nation of Israel some distinctions. In particular, we looked at two distinctions: the distinction of uh, the the Passover meal or the the, the leaven, unleavened bread and um, the firstborn and the distinctiveness that that drew to them and how it began to separate them from the rest of the world. And God's in the business of doing that. This morning I was thinking of a verse and uh, Brother um, Eichley brought up one, but I was actually thinking that the verse that says we are a peculiar people, right? Not a holy people. We're a peculiar people and we praise the Lord for that. Well, if you'll quickly open your Bibles to um, Exodus, we're going to look this next section beginning in verses uh, chapter 13 from verse 17, and we're going to try to we're going to just quickly get through verse 14. We're not going to touch. I'm just going to excite your thinking, I hope, and give you opportunity to do some studies on yourself. In this, I. Title this, this is the judgment, Exodus 13:17 through 14:31. This is the second part of redemption by power, right? Uh, redemption by power. The first was distinction, and now judgment. And here in chapter 13, verse 17, we see the journey resumed. It was began back in, uh, in verse uh, uh, 37 of chapter 12, and he picks it back up after the instructions. He picks it back up here in uh, verse 17 of chapter 13. But here, this, there's a short section here, uh, and it marks the beginning of the Israelites' uh, uh, journey toward the sea and toward Sinai. And the emphasis, there's an emphasis here, and it's, the emphasis is on the leading of God. Jehovah leading the people and there's the it's the leading is manifested in a very unique way there's a it's a supernatural leading that well i don't it was the only time that we know well later on as they would uh, uh the jordan would be separated for the children of israel to pass through as well but this one was unique in its way uh, with all of the phenomena and everything that was going to happen. And it's unlikely to be repeated. And there, the primary application, such a passage, it's difficult, but the general principle here is clear. God and his clear revelation leads his people to the fulfillment of his promise. God's made a promise and through his clear revelation, he will lead them. This section, the first section, is uh, I've divided it up into um, 
three sections. The first one is the journey resumed. That's Exodus 13, 17 through 22. The second part is the instruction, Exodus 14, 1 through 14. And then Exodus 14, 15 through, through 31 is the victory. I'm just going to do some capsulizing on this, if you would. So three short things. Now, the first section, the journey, the first thing we see is in verses 17 through 18, the leading to the sea. And here, the Israelites, their faith is being exercised and strengthened. And remember, God wouldn't lead them directly uh, to where they would go. He would lead them by way because uh, obviously God knew their hearts, God knew their strength. And if they would have, it says that if he would have led the people it says in, in verse 17, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God, obviously, God knew that they weren't prepared for war. Even though the scripture says that they were set up in a battle array, it's not necessarily uh, in comparison to they haven't seen a battle, they haven't seen war, they've been in oppression uh, for so many years, after f over 400 years in uh, Egypt. And so God knew their heart. And he would gently and tenderly exercise and strengthen them. You know, um, we observe that same careful proportion of the burdens that, that the spiritual burdens that we have in our own lives, don't we? First Corinthians ten thirteen tells us that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it, right? And so God knew the hearts of the Israelites and he wouldn't give them a burden, so he would lead them in the right way. So the first thing we see in this section is that God was exercising their faith by the direction he was taken. There's another element, it's in verse 19. In verse 19, it says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had, he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from, from, uh, <clears throat> from here with you. And, of course, this is in response to uh, the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 50, where uh, Joseph would commend them to do that. So they were faithful in that. So they, they, had the, they had the leading of the Lord, they had the bones, and then in verses 20 through 22, we see the leading with the pillar and the cloud. The leading with the pillar and the cloud. And exactly what it is, I'm not really sure, nobody can really be sure, people would, can only speculate. But whatever the exact nature of these things, they, they formed a direct visible revelation of God, right? There would be the pillar before him and the cloud behind him, right? It was direct revelation from God, and God would be leading them in this way. God was guiding the people. He was, it was an unambiguous way. There was no way for them to get lost because God was guiding them, right? And both this idea of clouds and fire would, again and again, represent the presence of God, whether it was the burning bush, right, or Jesus being taken up in the clouds. Again and again, these elements are, are characteristic of God. They, they illustrate 
uh, and represent the presence of God. They represent his power, his majesty, his protection, and his judging the enemies. We can see that here in this particular section. So here under the journey, we see the three things, the leading, the bones, keeping their promises, and as well as the pillar and the cloud. Exodus chapter 14 is divided into two simple elements, into two simple um, divisions, verses 14 or 1 through 14 and verses 15 through 31. And I've, as I've looked at this, I've given a couple of titles. Verses 1 through 14, we see the giving of the instructions. Okay, God gives instructions. And in verses 15 through 31, it's the reporting of the victory. And we just look real quickly at this. It says, or I have written down here, first of all, God gives the orders for the direction of the march and the encampment by the sea. It's God who directed them, right? God told, sent them. In, uh, in verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1, speak to the children of Israel that they what? That they turn and camp before Phil Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea opposite. And there was a purpose in this. It was, it was purposeful that God would do this. He would give them these instructions. And later we see that it is a providential design. It's a providential design. Now you have the Egyptians who will think that of their own design and of their own minds that something is going on. But all along, God had sent them in this direction that the Egyptians might come to a conclusion that the Israelites are just wandering around and they have no way of escape. And they're definitely, they had no idea that they would get through the sea. Right, so we see some I call this the providential design. Wandering around, confused, it says, indicates that Pharaoh thought the Israelites would be perplexed and and confused, and they wouldn't know what to do. And then we also see here that God would make Pharaoh's will strong and firm. It says that he would he would harden his heart, right? And we've seen this before through the plagues. You know, Pharaoh would not let the people go. He would not. And then he comes to a point, and I call it um, judicial, uh, 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 ju what is the term I use? Uh, judicial willfulness, right? There was, there was, there was his, on his own will, and then when it comes to a certain point, God says, okay, judicially, you, could, you would not, you would not, you would not now, you cannot. That's the hardening of his heart. And so God would give him a strong will, and he would be determined to go. And the purpose of his hardening of his heart, it says that, that there would, the hardening and the chastening is, is that God intended to gain glor his glory. He intended for Pharaoh to glorify him, not Pharaoh glorifying him personally, but through his efforts, God would be glorified through Pharaoh. So we see the providential design um, in verses, uh, in, in verses uh, uh, 4, in verse 4, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over his army and the Egyptians. So what we see in this section between verses 1 and 14 
is, is that judgment doesn't only destroy the wicked. Okay? Judgment here would destroy the wicked, but it would also reveal the glory and the majesty of a sovereign God. Right? Uh, Proverbs or Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, right? And Pharaoh would get all his chariots, and he would get all his horsemen, and he would put his trust in them. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, right? Because he is sovereign. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace, right? So we see that, we see that uh, in this section, God gives, him the, gives them the instruction, all behind it, there is a providential work of God. You know, it's, I think I've said this before, I think it's easier for God to work in miracles than providence. Because when he has to deal with providence, he has to take all of the elements of humanity and bring them together. In miracles, he just makes them. Those are the two ways he works. One through miracles and one through providence. But his grace, his graciousness, and his sovereignty is revealed in providence, isn't it? So verses 15 through 31, we see the victory. And just a couple of, thought, of thoughts here. It's a miraculous victory, and there's two things we see here. We see judgment and glory. Okay, just go with me real quick, and we're going to look at some contrasts. In verse, uh, in, in verse 16, it says, But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel will go on dry ground uh, through the midst of the sea. Two things we see. He says, lift up your rod. And the purpose of lifting up your rod is that the children would go through, right? Judgment and glory. In verse 17, in verse 17, it says, and, and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his, char over his armies, over his chariots, and over his horsemen. God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, right? Judgment. And the result will be, I will receive honor, glory, judgment, and glory. Look at verse uh, 20. In verse 20. So it says, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of, the, of Israel that it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all the night long. It was a cloud on one side. That would be what? What is it? The two of them we're talking about? Judgment, right? And light on the other side. Glory. This, this, is, a, this is a consistent parallel, a consistent contrast that I was able to see. Look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all, all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And then go down to verse 24. Now it came to pass, not at night, but in the morning watch, that the Lord looked upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Again, we see those two things, judgment and glory. And then in verse 27, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full strength, while the Egyptians were fleeing to sea, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. 
and then verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel by the day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, judgment, and the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Israelites. That would be what? Glory. Judgment and glory. Okay, and then the last, one last thing it says in uh, verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. For the people feared the Lord. Judgment and believed the Lord. Glory. And so I, that was just a contrast uh, uh, through here, a theme that I saw through here. Exodus uh, 14.31 says that they feared the Lord and they believed. And what is it they believed? Well, they believed the Lord, first of all, to be the only true God. They believed him to be Jehovah, the supreme being. They believed that he was the one and only living God. He was faithful to his word. These are the things they've seen in this short period of time, that he was able to do things, that he was, he was wise to do them, and he did them in the right way. He did them in the best way, and he did all of these things. What was the outcome of it? That he would be what? Honored. Judgment and glory. That, his, that, that, that he would, his own glory and for the good of his people, right? That was the purpose. And they also believed his promises. They believed the fulfillment of them. And then as he had saved them out of the hands of the Egyptians, he'd bring them later into the land of Canaan. This is what they believed. He promised them, and he would do it. That's providential work here. And also they believed Moses. They believed Moses was the man of God. You know, they grumbled with him. They grumbled about him. Who, who are you? Who are you? But now they would see that Moses was who God had called him. In Psalm 106, it says, Then they believed, they believed his words, and they sang his praises. They believed Moses' word and sang his praises. And in chapter 15, there's going to be that song, that great song of Moses, which is going to be a, a wonderful study, I'm sure, when we get there. Well, God worked like that in Israel. He worked like that in Egypt with the Israelites. And as we know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He works that same way today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, we read, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the clouds and in the seas. And then it, the rest of that chapter, it goes on to teach us the trials and the tribulations so that we don't have to go through the same thing. So that we don't have to go through the same thing. And again, in, um, in Romans chapter 15, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatever things were written, we started with this, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. He's a great God that we serve. He's the same yesterday. He worked that way, and he continues to work. He won't bring us through a trial that we can't handle, and he'll lead us. He'll reveal himself to us in our lives. Let's thank him for his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to come together 
and consider and be challenged and to be reminded and to be uh, strengthened in our own walk with you of the character of the God that you are. Thank you for these examples. I pray that we would learn from them and not choose the same mistakes, but glorify you in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.